0: So, paraphrasing again, all the land that you see, everything you see in every direction, I'm going to give to you and your family. Uh, Oh, and by the way, you're going to have a huge family. Uh, Abram has one small problem, though. He doesn't have any kids yet. Uh, Oh, and his wife is really old. Um, So, Abram and Sarai take the reins for a little while, and Sarai gives Abram, her Egyptian slave, as another wife in order that he could have some descendants through her. So let's turn to Genesis chapter 16, verses 15 and 16. So, uh, Hagar bore Abram a son. Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. So we have a descendant now, but not through Sarai. Ishmael was not the descendant that God had in mind to fulfill his promise to Abram to have countless descendants. Let's flip over a page to Genesis 17, verses 15 to 16. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Okay, First, notice the name change. Um, They're no longer Abram and Sarai. It's Abraham and Sarah. And God promises Abraham and Sarah a son. Then if we go to chapter 21, we see that Isaac is born. The Lord visited Sarah as he had promised, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, who Sarah bore him, Isaac. Now, God's appointed descendant is on the scene, but there is still some strife between Abraham's two wives. It's kind of hard to imagine, I know. Um, Let's look at Genesis 21, verses 9 through 14. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son, For the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, "'Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring.'" So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. So at this point, Abraham is essentially back down to one descendant again. Uh, And this leads us to what I would consider Abraham's biggest test, which is the call to sacrifice Isaac. Let's look at chapter 22 again. Specifically, let's look at how Abraham responds to God's challenge. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. Okay, how did, God, how did Abraham respond? He gets up early to do this thing. This is a hard thing that God has called him to do, right? He doesn't put it off. He doesn't sleep in until 10 o'clock in the morning thinking, I really don't want to do this. He gets up and gets to work, right? So he gets up early and gets to work so that he can do God's will. He saddles the donkey, gets enough provisions for four guys to travel for a week or so, cuts wood, loads it on a donkey, and starts hiking. There's no lollygagging, thinking surely God doesn't mean that. There's not even an argument mentioned between God and Abraham. Now, I'm going to get off my notes for a minute. Uh, Robin and the kids and I watched the Bible miniseries on the History Channel that was on a couple months ago. This scene is depicted in that film, movie, whatever, Um Abraham hears God telling this, and he argues in the movie. Mm -hmm. In real life, well, the Bible doesn't say anything about an argument. It's, okay, God, I'm going to go do this thing. You tell me to, I'm doing it. So I think that's important to to note. I also find it interesting that part of Abraham's test is also geographical. Does anybody know how far it is from where Abraham lives to Mount Moriah? You, of course you what's that three days it's about 50 miles and uh the bible doesn't say he saddled his horses how many donkeys did he saddle one donkey so these guys are walking 50 miles one way to go to go sacrifice isaac uh abraham had plenty of time at least three days because it says on the third day they saw the place from afar well if you're walking if you see something from afar you still got a pretty good walk ahead of you right So I'm thinking he had maybe four days um, to think about what God has sent him to do, okay? But what does Abraham know about God that can help him through this situation? Let's look at Genesis 15, verses 4 through 6. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. So God has promised Abraham countless descendants through Isaac. Remember, Ishmael's out of the picture at this point. Uh, So this passage definitely refers to Isaac. Next, everything that God has promised Abraham has already happened or is in the process of happening. Most notably would be the birth of Isaac. Sarah was 90 years old when she got pregnant with Isaac. No way is she getting pregnant without God saying, hey, you're going to have a baby, right? Uh, The Bible says, uh, let's see, Genesis chapter 18, verse 11. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So the Bible tells us she can't get pregnant, okay? Okay. She could not get pregnant without God's almighty power. The fact that Sarah did get pregnant years after she was physically able to taught Abraham another thing about God. Nothing is too hard for him. Genesis eighteen fourteen says, Is anything too hard for the Lord? And Abraham also knows that God is just. Genesis eighteen twenty three through twenty five. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are fifty righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the fifty righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of the earth do what is just? Okay, so at this point, I have a question for Abraham. If God is just, can do the impossible, has fulfilled every promise that he ever gave to you, is it likely that he's going to let you down now? No. Uh, He has promised descendants through Isaac. And Abraham knew that even if he had to sacrifice his son, that God had the power to bring him back to life. Now we're getting out of Genesis now. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 11, 17 to 19. By faith... He knew that God would save his son one way or another, either before the sacrifice or if he had to, God could bring him back to fulfill the promise about Isaac. So, how does the story unfold? Now we're going back to Genesis. Chapter 22. This is 5 through 14. This is the rest of the verses that I had. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. I see a lot of trust in that response from Abraham. So they went both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his, by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place. The Lord will provide as it is said to this day on the Mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. All right. So Abraham obeys God in a very difficult situation and passes God's test in return. God saves Isaac and provides a ram for the sacrifice everybody wins, right? Maybe not the ram. Um, (laughs) Abraham learns another valuable truth about God that he will provide. Okay. So how about some personal application here? If God requires something difficult from you, how should you respond? First, we know that God will test us just as he did Abraham. Proverbs 17:3 says, "The crucible is for silver and the furnace is for gold, and the Lord tests hearts." What do we know about crucibles and furnaces? Does anybody know what a crucible is?? A pot? A pot? Yeah. OK. Um, one definition of crucible is a place or situation in which concentrated forces interact to cause or influence change or development. Another definition is a severe test. Sounds unpleasant. How about the furnace? Is that any better? I think not. God does not promise us a cush life with all the bells and whistles. He is constantly proving us through adverse situations. Okay, Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 10. I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Again, we find this test. And God lets us know that not only does he care about where we end up, cares about how we get there and finally james 1 verses 2 through 3 count it all joy my brothers when you meet trials of various kinds for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness so we should be happy when god tests us he will not challenge us with something he has not equipped us for we just have to rely on him through the challenges whether they're big or small and what does it mean to be steadfast steadfastness is loyalty in the face of trouble and difficulty so that's what we want right we want to be loyal to god we want to be uh, steadfast soldiers for his army Uh, through testing god is molding us into just that steadfast soldiers how will god help us through these trials let's look at uh, psalm 46 verse 1 god is our refuge and strength a very present help in trouble. In Psalm twenty eight, seven. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts, and I am helped. Our strength and shield come from the very one who is testing us. He helps us through. Proverbs chapter three, verses five and six. I know I'm flipping you guys all over the Bible, I'm sorry. <laughs> but, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. So we can't figure it out on our own. We have to trust in God and his plan, and he's going to show us what to do. So God is going to place us on the right path. But what if it seems too hard? It's probably going to at times. God promises us hope. Jeremiah 29, verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for wholeness and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Even the challenges that we face are for our good. And finally, Psalm 9, verse 10. And those who know your name put their trust in you, for you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. God will not forsake us if we seek him. So if you're having a problematic situation, seek him. He'll help you. What does God promise us in these difficult situations? Isaiah 43, verse 2. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. So the flame of adversity cannot consume us. God promises us that. Hebrews Hebrews 11, verse 6, And without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. If we believe in him and seek him, he will reward us. And last but not least, Psalm 84, verse 12, O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. When we trust God and lean on him during difficult times, he will guide us through, and his tests refine us into what he would have us be. Hebrews 10.23 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. We should choose to trust and obey God when he tests us, and we should rely on his strength to carry us through. Okay. Let's pray. Sovereign Lord, you are God. Your words are trustworthy, and you have promised these good things to your servants. Give us faith to accomplish impossible things for you and for your glory. Help us to rely on you through our difficulties and to find joy in them, knowing that they come from you. Make us steadfast so that we can hold tightly to the hope that we profess. Amen.